I am very glad that in a life and a world where uh, you cannot say that everything endures forever, in fact, quite the opposite, that just about nothing does, I am glad that the love of our faithful God endures forever, aren't you? Man, um, those without the personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ just have no hope whatsoever, zero, because nothing in this life endures. But if you're here today and you're in Christ, you can know that the love of your God, your Father, your Savior endures forever, because He endures forever. And, you know, one of the, um, one of the arguments that people sometimes give for why they are not Christians and why they don't believe Christianity um, is because they will say uh, that Jesus Christ never really claimed to be God. You've maybe heard that. Uh, that's something that is frequent uh, from the lips of cynics and skeptics and, and people like that. Uh, they say, well, you know, you're, you're putting all your faith in the divinity of someone who never claimed to be divine. And that shows that uh, they never actually read the Bible. Uh, they never read the Gospels, uh, certainly not objectively, because over and over again, Throughout his earthly ministry, as recorded in all four Gospels, multiple times, Jesus clearly pointed to the fact that he is from somewhere beyond this earth. He existed before he was born, that he is more than just a man. He said it over and over and over again, uh, many, many times so clearly that uh, his accusers, his opponents, the Pharisees, the scribes, how many times that they immediately try to kill him for blasphemy? Because they said he, he is making himself God. He's saying that he is divine. He's, he's claiming to be one with the Father. He did that over and over. Sometimes it was um, not quite as blunt as other times. You know, sometimes it was veiled a little bit. Uh, sometimes he kind of left it open-ended for people to decide what he was actually saying, what he was talking about. But man, other times it was just so clear. He was saying, yeah, uh, I am the Son of God. I am one with the Father. I've existed for eternity. Sometimes he, he said, uh, before Abraham was, and everybody you know, in the Jewish culture revered Abraham, said so before he was, before he existed, I am, claiming to be the I am of the Old Testament. And one such example of, of him clearly pointing to the fact that he, his existence and his domain is far beyond and far above this world uh, was right before he was crucified. And as he was being tried by Pilate, and Pilate was doing his best to figure out what was going on with this guy, uh, what was he all about, where was he really from, what really is his story— um, when he was trying to do his best even to keep Jesus from being crucified, and he was questioning him, um, he said, so tell me clearly, are you a king? Because the accusation from the Jews was that he made himself king, and he was a threat to Caesar. And Pilate said, so if you're a king, where, where is your kingdom? Tell me about your kingdom. Where are you from? And in John 18, 36, Jesus' reply was this, My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom 
were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And if you're familiar with this passage, you know that that really unsettled Pilate even more. He started getting a little little scared of who he was dealing with. Um, And before that account, before he was on trial, uh, right before he was arrested in John 17, which is very uh, aptly titled by a lot of commentators and probably a heading in your Bible, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It was truly the great intercessory prayer before he went to the cross. And in John 17, 16, Jesus praying to his father with his disciples gathered around him says this, they, speaking of his followers, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, which we just read and he would say to Pilate in just a Uh, an hour or two from this point, just a a little bit of time after he is with his disciples praying to his father, he will say what we just read as he was before Pilate. But before he's in front of Pilate, he says the same thing. He says, I'm not of the world. And my followers, they're not of the world either. And as he's praying to his father, he says, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to leave them in the world and sanctify them, set them apart. Set them apart unto the work that you sent me to do that, that I'm going to send them to do because, you know, I'm coming back to you really soon. And I want them to stay and carry on the work that I've begun. But I know, and I want them to know, that they are not of the world. It's that classic in the world and not of it concept. It means they're living here, they're going to still be alive in real human bodies and and in a physical life and a physical experience, but they're not part of the world's system. They're not part of, of this way of living. They're separate from it. They're out from it. They're not going to be part of the ins and outs of the kingdoms of this earth. Because they, Father, and as he, he's knowing that his disciples are listening to him, they are of my kingdom. They're going to be part of my system. It's totally separate from the rest of the world. And that is certainly something that was not limited to the original disciples. Just as the rest of Jesus' prayer, his fantastic prayer in John 17, just as that was not limited to the original disciples when he prayed for unity, uh, in addition to saying that they are not of the world just as I am of the world, uh, not of the world, he said, uh, I pray that they would be one as you and I, Father, are one. We've talked a lot about that. Uh, the fact that they are to be completely unified, the disciples of Christ, that they're to be totally one just as Jesus and the Father are one. And we know that that's not limited to the original disciples because after he prayed for the the eleven, he said, I don't pray just for these. I pray for all who will believe in me because of their message. And we've said many times through many different messages, including this series, that was Jesus praying for people like you and me. And so this statement and this concept that the followers of Jesus 
are not of the world, part of the world, part of its system, part of its structure, part of its kingdom, just as Jesus was not of the world, that too extends to you and me. What was said of the original followers of Christ is true of us today, that they were not of the world as Jesus was not of the world, and neither are we to be of the world. Here's what Philippians 3.20 says, the Apostle Paul writing. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.20 tells us to set our minds not on things of the earth, but on things above where Christ is. And that's all very important for us to understand because we know that we are living here and now. We're living at this time in history. We're living in the United States. We're citizens of this country. We know that we are residing. I mean, if you're here in this building, chances are, unless you're, you're uh, traveling and you're out of state, chances are you are at least currently a resident of West Virginia, and a resident of Beckley, and resident of Raleigh County. So that's what's before us all the time. We just went through a census, right? And so what's before us constantly is the immediate, the here and now, the physical. And we're primed in every aspect of life to be physically-minded people, creatures. We're, We're primed and set up to only think in the linear, you know, to only think in what's right in front of us, what can be measured, what can be calculated. But if you're in Christ, you have another reality that, and here's a a little bit of a a secret (laughs) that shouldn't be so secret. The reality that you have in Christ, the other reality, in addition to being, you know, regular, uh, everyday human living where you are, your reality is that you are already a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible tells us that you, if you're in Christ, are already seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. You're already there, even though you're not there yet. And here's, here's the other aspect of that. The reality of you as a citizen of heaven, you being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because you're in Christ, that is a greater reality. It's meant to be a greater reality than even the reality of the here and now. So you going through life and your your here and now physical, literal existence, and you going through life as a citizen of whatever country you're part of, for us, the U.S., you being a citizen of a, of a local area like we are, that actually is supposed to take a back seat to the reality of you and me being citizens of heaven. That should be more real, more defining of our lives than any other aspect of our life. That's how it should be. Let me put it to you this way. Christian, your greatest allegiance and deepest 
devotion is to a king and a kingdom, not a party or a nation. So if you're in Christ, that's what should mark your life. All Christians should have this as their mindset. We should all understand this. We should live this out. That to be in Christ means our our greatest, our highest level of allegiance, our deepest devotion is to King Jesus and to His kingdom. Far more than it is to any sort of political party or movement and far more than even a nation that we love. There's nothing wrong with saying you love your country. There's nothing wrong with uh, supporting your country and being loyal to your country and defending your country. All that is good and well. And I am personally very thankful for those who have given their lives in, in many ways, literally, for the preserving of our nation and the freedoms that we're blessed by God to have. I am thankful, thankful, thankful. But my main identity and the the greatest measure of my allegiance has to go beyond this nation. It has to go beyond the flag. It has to go beyond this country's constitution. It doesn't negate any of those things, but it has to supersede them. Our greatest allegiance and our deepest devotion as Christians is to a king and a kingdom, not a party or a nation. Colossians 3.2, I'll refer to that again. The Apostle Paul says, set your mind. That means fix, place. Let your minds rest on. uh, let, Let your minds be occupied with. Things above, not on earthly things. So Paul's saying, look beyond the here and now. Look beyond what's in front of you. Look beyond the temporal. Look beyond the physical and the flesh. Go beyond that. Realize that if you're in Christ, you're called to something much bigger and much deeper and much more enduring, like we sang about in our opening song, than what is right in front of you. And that's something that is not going to come easy. It's not going to come naturally. This is something where we have to have the Holy Spirit's power. And isn't it good to know that we have the Holy Spirit's power if we're in Christ? The, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the very God who caused Jesus in His humanity to be risen from the dead resides in you and me. Paul says in Romans, the, the life-giving Spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you and He will also give life to your mortal body. That means your whole human experience, you have the very power of God available to you. And so, setting your minds on things above where we've never been, where we can't see, not on earthly things, where we are, where we can see and touch and taste and feel, right? It's going to take something far beyond our natural ability. And praise God we have it. What we need to have this kind of mindset, we have. We just have to take advantage of it. We have to apply it. We have to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's what we're called to do uh, because that's what we are in Christ. We're, we're in this dual reality and a dual citizenship. And dual citizenship and a dual reality. Here, but completely tied to something much 
much beyond and much above right here. In this life, but not just tied to this life. In this world, but not of this world. It's a, it's a dichotomy that we're called to exist in. And this has some very real and very practical implications and some very practical applications on life. One is something that we're all very familiar with and, and going through right now in this time of the year with only uh, a couple weeks left in this election season, a couple weeks left until election day. And the fact that we are to have our greatest allegiance and our deepest devotion to a king and a kingdom, not a party or a nation, the fact that we are called to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, that has some very real-time bearing on what we're all experiencing and faced with and participating in in these days. Here's what Psalm 146.3 says. Psalm 146.3, put not your trust in princes or rulers or authority. Um, doesn't mean don't respect. It doesn't mean don't submit to that. We know the Bible's clearly um, commanding us to do that, to submit to, to respect to the authority that's over us. That's in Romans 13. So it's not saying don't show respect, don't be submissive to. It's saying don't put your trust in. Don't depend on uh, those that are in those positions to be everything you need in your life. Don't put all your eggs in the basket of human leadership is another way of saying it. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. So don't look to any other human as, as powerful and good as leaders and those in authority may be, as much as we need to, to be responsible uh, to leaders and those in, in charge of us and, and over us in life, we're not to put our trust in them. We're not to look to them for any sort of eternal security. We're not to look to them for any sort of spiritual provision. Because no one can provide that except God himself. Only in God are we going to find what we ultimately need. Only in God are we going to find the hope that we all look for and long for. Only in God are we going to find satisfaction. Only in God are we going to find rest, spiritual rest, the soul rest. We talked about that last week that Jesus alone promises. Don't put your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. So, putting it another way, in our context today, don't put your hopes or your hope in the one that occupies the White House. Put your hope in the one that occupies heaven's throne. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we should go about life. Do we, should we vote? Absolutely. I hope you will. It's a great freedom and a great privilege that we have. Should you pray about how to vote? Absolutely. Should you seek what the Bible has to say about concepts and issues and things that are on the table and seek the, the Word of God's instruction and the Holy Spirit's guidance as you go forward in, in the voting process? Absolutely. But here's what we do through that and in that as Christians, as people who are part of the way. 
we have to be very, very careful and very, very intentional that we don't ever, ever put our hope in the one that occupies the White House. Nor do we let the maybe the absence of the one we hoped and wanted to be in the White House rob us of our hope. Our hope, positive or negative, should not depend on who occupies the White House. Rather, our hope should be in and rest in the one that occupies heaven's throne. And he will never be absent from that throne. That throne will always be occupied. It always has been. It always will be. No matter who comes and goes in our political sphere or realm. And that's where our hope should lie. That's where our hope should rest. That's what our hope depends on. Here's another thing that's very important to understand, Christian. Believer. American Christian. Here's something that's really important to keep in mind as we uh, wind down this political season and process. And it's something that, uh, man, I, I have personally uh, been challenged to exhibit throughout this whole time and uh, what I've encouraged as I've had opportunity, uh, what I've encouraged others uh, to try to have in mind and keep in mind. And that is this, be engaged, be informed about the issues, about the candidates, about what's at stake and what's being suggested and promoted. Be engaged, be informed, but not enraged or inconsiderate. And far too often, that's what we see, isn't it? That's what's on display all through social media, through private conversations, on the, the news and all the back and forth commentary. It's, it's this spirit of and this mindset of and, and conversations that are full of rage and total lack of compassion, total lack of mutual respect, total lack of any consideration. And unfortunately, tragically, it's even within the church that you have believers, brothers and sisters in Christ that are called to love one another, that are called to be one as Jesus and His Father are one. And yet, we are so segmented so much of the time, so divided that anyone looking in would see a total absence of unity and a total lack of love rather than the opposite. We're so torn over all the different issues, not just political, uh, cultural issues, societal issues, coronavirus issues. We're so divided right now and have been for quite some time. You know, over what what people think of certain things and how we're looking at certain things and what perspective this person has compared to the perspective that the other person has. And that has been allowed to be elevated and elevated and elevated. And it's risen so far that in many cases, what is held on to and what is constantly in front of, of our minds and our eyes and our hearts is not 
the unifying fact of Jesus Christ and who we are in Him, and that we're to love one another well, rather it's, well, I don't even want to talk to this person, never mind that they're my brother or sister in Christ, because of how they view this, because of how they're looking at that, because of who they might vote for, that I I can't believe that they might vote for, and I'm willing to even say I don't even think that there's a, a way they can be saved because of how they are going to vote. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you said that? They can't be a Christian because they're a Democrat. There's no way they can be saved if they're voting for fill-in-the-blank. Who made you God? Who made you the Holy Spirit that you can determine what's in the person's heart? We've got to, we've got to step away, church. We are on a very dangerous precipice. We have allowed the enemy to pollute and corrupt the way we think and the way we act on so many things that are not to mark the believer. We've got to step away. We're in a dangerous place at this time in the church. In Texas, when we were there, we were there for just a, a little while. Um, I was there as part of a church, an associate pastor. And uh, the first Sunday we were there, uh, our girls were really little. They were playing in the playground area. And all of a sudden, they started crying. And so, of course, Leanne, being the good, faithful, ever-watchful mom, ran right to them to find out what in the world was going on. And we picked, she picked them up, and she brought them to me. And all over their, her, their hands and their arms, on their knees, were these huge whelps these red, just angry whelps all over them. And Leanne said, what in the world happened? And I mean, of course, they didn't know. They were crying, screaming. And, and so she brought them to me, and I, I said, I don't know what happened. Where were they? What were they doing? She said, they were just playing on the playground. I had no idea. And someone in the church was right there, and, and they looked at, at their, uh, their arms and their hands, and they said, oh, those are fire ant bites. And we, we both looked at each other and we said, fire ants? I mean, we're from West Virginia. We have a lot of crazy things, but we don't have fire ants like that. And she, they said, oh yeah, here in Texas, we've got those big fire ants. And let me tell you something, Texas lives up to the slogan that, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. Fire ants, squirrels, roaches, I could go on and on. Fire ants. And they earn their name very, very well. They, they deserve that name. And here's another thing about fire ants. If you take a black ant, you know, the big black ants like we do have here in West Virginia, and you put them uh, maybe in a jar with red fire ants, and you shake the jar up, if you let it out, let all the ants out, instead of just going their own way, here's what happens. The red fire ants will attack the black ant, or ants, like you see there. And, I mean, they will literally rip that thing apart. Um, and because they, the red fire ants have decided, they determine when they're in the jar there and they're getting shaken up, that it's the black ant's fault. They decide that their enemy is the ant in front of them, even though that it's an ant like they are. It may not be a fire ant, but it's still an ant. An ant's an ant, Right? And so they put all their, their energy and they project all their hostility and their anger toward this black ant when the black ant didn't do anything to them at all. I mean, they're, they're all 
supposed to really be together, but they're not. And they don't realize that the enemy and the aggression is far outside of them, far beyond them. It was whoever was shaking the jar, riling them up. That was the enemy. It wasn't the black ant. Christian, we need to come back to what Paul said in Ephesians 6 and remember and believe that it is not flesh and blood that we wrestle against, but rather it is the spiritual forces of wickedness at work in this world. That's, we, our enemy is not the person right in front of me. That's not my enemy. Certainly not my brother and sister in Christ. But here's, here's the other thing. My enemy, your enemy, it's not even the person that's part of a different political party. It's not a person that votes different from you. It's, it's not any of the candidates that are up on the screen. It's not the news pundits. That's really not your enemy. James 1, 19-20, and also verse, or chapter 3, verses 9-10, through 10, uh, we'll look at, and I want to start with James 1, 19-20. Here's what he says. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. I love James. You should love James too. Uh, If you haven't read James in a while, you should read it. It's full of such practical wisdom, and he's blunt, and he's obvious, and he's direct. And he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Why, James? Why should we pursue that? Why should that mark our lives? He tells us. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And then chapter 3, verse 9 through 10, with the tongue, our mouth, our words, we bless our Lord and Father, We do that. We've done that today, and that's great, and we should. So with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, at the same time sometimes, we curse people, people. He didn't distinguish between groups of people. He just said people. We curse other humans who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Man, if there's, if there's ever been a more relevant word uh, from the ancient word, I, I don't know. I don't know about it because that is just about as relevant and timely as, as I can think of in our political climate, in our current climate, in our culture where we are right now, in the church where we are right now, dealing with all that we are, all the pressures, all the different things to think through, all the things coming at us from the left and from the right, from every way, from every direction, all the things we're seeing and hearing and talking about, all the different viewpoints and perspectives. This is what we've got to come back to. This is what we've got to be rooted in. This is what we've got to be anchored to. that we should all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of, of man, human anger, does not accomplish and is not in line with God's righteousness. 
We've got to guard our mouth. We've got to guard our tongue. We've got to not be people that, that fits in James' example there. That in, out of the same mouth, we bless and praise our God and then curse and, and tear down and tear apart other people around us, saved and unsaved alike. And here's the thing. You don't have to agree with everyone. You can, you can strongly disagree. And there are many times and many cases where we should strongly disagree. I'm not saying let's just all, you know, join hands in, in a circle and sing kumbaya. That's not what I'm saying. Have an opinion. Have a perspective that is guided by the Word of God and led by the Holy Spirit. And when other things don't line up with that, yes, disagree. And, and make it clear that you disagree and why. But do so in a loving, grace-filled, compassionate manner. Don't make your mouth an AK-47 and just obliterate the person you're talking to or about. My friends... Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not design our local churches to be specific and isolated national or ethnic gatherings, or the specific gatherings of just an exclusive, specific political party. That was never Jesus' uh, design or His intention. That's never been our Savior's desire for His church. He, he never said to His disciples, then or us now, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. By the different factions and divisions among you. By the different political lines you draw in your churches. By, by absolutely alienating everyone that doesn't agree with you. That's not what Jesus said. He said, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have what? You know it. Tell me. Love for one another. And not just any love, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's how he said the world would know that what we claim is the truth. And the one we claim to know is the one they should know. That's how that's going to happen. So he didn't design our churches to function like these, these very specific and segmented national or ethnic or political groups where everybody looks just like you and talks just like you and thinks just like you. That's not what he designed or desires. No, Jesus designed our local churches and desires for our gatherings to be of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. He designed our communities of faith to be made up of different people with different perspectives on life. And yes, even different perspectives on politics. He designed our communities of faith to be marked by those gatherings of people that love each other well, that work together well, despite different backgrounds, despite different ways of looking at things. And he designed us to live together in this life, knowing that if we're in Christ, that's the unifying factor. And no matter how we look at other things, if we're truly in Christ together and we're going through life together, we're also part of another greater life than this life alone. 
So here's what all that means. Here's, here's how I could kind of put that all in, in one statement. Please, please, don't be defined by your voter registration card. Be characterized by the word Christian and all that comes with that. The last, this is our third week in this series, so for the last three weeks we've talked about Christian, what it means, what it really means. And so my, my plea to you is to not be defined by your voter registration card. I'm not trying to tell you to be a certain way on that or, or uh, to change your voter registration or anything like that. I mean, no, no, you think through that, you be led of the Lord in that, but don't be defined by the way you vote. Don't be defined by the party you're part of. Be characterized by the word Christian, by that banner over your life and all that comes with that. And here's, here's from God's Word uh, some very clear examples of what comes with that word, what comes under it, what should mark and characterize and define our life. First Peter 2, 12 through 17. The Apostle Peter says this, conduct yourselves, so live, go through life and live your life in this way, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Another way of looking at that word is the lost, the unsaved, the world, okay? Conduct yourselves honorably among the outside world, the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, and they will, and they do, right? I mean, we know that. When they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. So, Live your life, conduct yourselves, be people that are people of honor and integrity and compassion and purity and holiness and righteousness so that no matter what people say about you, that they will be silenced, that their accusations will fall flat. Not because you're just so witty, not because you have those wonderful, quick, one-word replies, not because your answers are so biting and it just shuts them down and puts them in their place. That's not what Peter's saying here, no. He says, you will silence their slander, not in what you say, but in how you live and in how you conduct yourself. And if you do that, they're going to, they're going to have to recognize the difference in your life. They're going to observe your good works. And God is even going to use that, this verse says, to glorify himself. And then verse 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether the emperor as the supreme authority for us, for our context in our day, that's the president. So whoever the president is or ends up being, submit to every human authority, not because they deserve it necessarily, not because they are so worthy of it. No, because of the Lord. Your submission to human authority over you is something that reaches beyond them. And it's actually submission to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by Him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people which are in great supply. 
Let's just be honest about that. Great supply, foolish people. You don't have to look very far. But it's God's will that you silence them not by showing how much smarter you are than them, not by showing that you're right and they're wrong, not by showing that what they're believing or thinking is so foolish and stupid. You don't, that's not how you silence the ignorance. You silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good, by conducting yourselves as one who is truly a Christian, what that means. Verse 16, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. When you come to Christ, you are set free from the slavery of self and sin. But it's not so that you can just live however you want, so you can do whatever you want. You're freed from the slavery of sin and self so that you can become a slave to righteousness unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17, honor everyone, everyone, not just the people that are easy for you to honor, not just the people that you like and that they like you, not just the people who are just like you, not people who are absolutely deserving in every way of honor. No, that's not what he said. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's how the world will know that we're truly the disciples of the living, reigning Christ. Love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. And I will say again, for our context, we don't have an emperor, we have a president. And we will have a president again. I want to, after saying all this and wrapping up everything, I want to leave you with a part of a devotional uh, that I got this week. It's, I subscribe to this devotional, it comes every week, it's it's really encouraging and refreshing. And this particular devotional was, again, so timely, so relevant. Um, and I just had to share it with you. And I'm not going to share the whole thing. But it was written in a poetic form. It's kind of like a poem. Um, and it's from Paul David Tripp, which is a fantastic author. I highly recommend him to you. Uh, great, great stuff he, he puts out. And here's what he wrote in his weekly devotional last week. In that moment, when opponents are screaming, tribes are fighting, arguments are escalating, the masses are debating, and no one is listening, there is power in a soft answer. There is strength in a tender heart. There is grace to be found in a measured response. There is mercy to be seen in a loving reply. There is only one enemy, not the person different from you, not the one who disagrees with you, not whoever disrespects you, not the one on the other side of the fence. The one true enemy was defeated by one who was despised and rejected, misjudged and forsaken, condemned and mistreated. He won, not by being louder, acting stronger, bigger threats, crafty words, stinging retorts, but by a sacrifice. The ultimate battle was won by a gentle, humble, loving servant man. He silenced the enemy, not by being bigger and louder, I would insert, though he was, 
but by laying down his life. And that, my fellow Christians, is what we're all called to do. We're called to pick up our cross daily and deny ourselves. We're called to lay down our lives for one another as Christ, our Savior, laid down his life for us. And that includes the things that are really, really hard to do that in, not just the things that are easy. That's what it means to be Christian. Let's pray. Father, I pray that what you clearly laid out in your word um, to drive us, to define us, would be true of us. I pray that as our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus, said, my kingdom is not of this world. I am not of this world. And before he said that to Pilate, he said that to you. And he prayed for his original disciples. And Father, I I really believe he included us in that as well when he said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So Father, that means we should not be marked by this world's manner. We should not be following suit with the way this world treats one another. The way that is seen as normal and expected and natural and, oh, well, this is just the way I am, that is not what should mark and define the church of your Son. Rather, we should stand out. We should stand apart. We should be known as people of love, not, of people, not as people who are, are hostile and harsh and full of hate. We should be known far more for what we are for rather than being known only for what we are against. We are called to set our minds, to fix our mindset on things that are above, not on things that are here below on the earth, not just earthly, fleshly things. Why? Because we are not just of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And so we should be marked with this dual identity. And our greatest, our our most powerful allegiance and our deepest, most sincere devotion should be to that kingdom, the kingdom of our Son, and to Him as King, far above any leader or, or group, far above any other organization and, and identity. We should be defined not by a certain affiliation. We should be defined as citizens of, kingdom, of a kingdom whose King bought us with His very life. But Father, all of these things that we, we see and recognize as being true and as being necessary, all of these things are so beyond us. They're so much more difficult than our ability allows for. We need help to walk in this way, to be this kind of people. We need a power beyond ourselves. And so it is with praise and with thanksgiving, that we can, we can turn our attention to the fact, the reality of the indwelling Spirit of God, whom you gave in the giving of your Son. Help us to remember that. Help us to really believe that we have the very power of God in us, through us, 
because of your Spirit in us. Help us to live from his power in all the the ways that we have been reminded we are to live today, in all the instruction, in all the commandments in your word, all that you, you tell us that you want us to be known for and, and known as all those ways that are so hard. Help us to yield to his power to do so, I pray. And may people look at us and see something truly different. And may they be drawn to ask us, what is the reason for the hope that we have? It's all in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.